Good morning. Why did Jesus come into this world? I'm sure I can get a lot of different answers from you today uh, to that question. Some of you would probably say he came to, to be a ransom to many. Some of you would say that he came to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Hmm? And of course, you get many different answers to that question. But in our text today, I want to look at one answer that Jesus himself gave and focus on that. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come so that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What does he mean? Now we understand the concept of life. We could always give an explanation as what it means to have life. But what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, I came that they might have, have it more abundantly? The word abundantly is parasols in the Greek, and it, it can find, you can find it about 22 times in the New Testament. But this is the only place uh, that we find it in the Gospel of John. And uh, it means more than sufficient. Or it also means over and above. And uh, when we ask people that question, you would probably get a multiplicity of answers with regards to what it means to live abundantly. The Jerusalem Herald found out that a, a man in, in Jerusalem was about to celebrate his 110th birthday. And so they sent a reporter over to interview him, just like how we do here. Whenever we find that somebody's going to be uh, very old or matured, uh, let's put it that way, very matured, uh, the news would send a reporter over to find out how did they account for their longevity. And so the Jerusalem Herald sent a reporter over to Benny. And the reporter asked Benny, says, Benny, how do you account for your longevity? And Benny replied, well, you could say I'm a health nut. He said, I'm, I've never smoked or, or, or drunk alcohol in my life. I, I'm always in bed by 10 o'clock every night. Uh, I've always attended uh, the Israeli folk dances since I was a teenager. And uh, I walk three miles a day in rain, sleet, or snow. And so the reporter looked at him and says, but, but, but my Uncle Saul, he followed the exact same routine. And he died when he was 75. How come it didn't work for him? Benny's response with a straight face was, well, all I can say is he didn't keep it up long enough. But is that what abundant life is all about? Longevity. Becoming a health nut. For some people it is. It's more than sufficient. It's a life that is over and above. And this means that the essence of living the abundant life is a, is a life that is overflowing. It is an overflowing life. It is an overcoming and it's an overwhelming lifestyle. It's more than sufficient. It's over and above. It's a lifestyle that satisfies, that saturates, and soothes. It's a lifestyle that, that, that prepares and perpetuates. But it also preserves. And I believe that's one of the things that Jesus was talking about. 
When he said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In fact, the, the, the actual sentence in the, in the original Greek reads differently from what we have in our King James Bibles. It reads, I come that they might keep on having abundant life. And that's what Jesus wants for every single one of his blood-bought children. For you and I to keep on, keeping on, having abundant life. In fact, the scripture tells us that in him was life. The scripture also tells us that he who has the Son has life. But you know, there are many people today who don't understand what the abundant life is all about with regards to how Jesus presents it. Many think it's abundance of things or abundance of food. There are people who are trying to control their weight because they think abundant living is eating all they can find. Some people say they, they will eat anything that doesn't eat them first. But is that what abundant living is all about? There was a pig farmer who raised pigs on his farm. And one day, uh, a man came to him and asked him a simple, unique question. What do you feed your pigs? And we get that question all the time at the Adventure Learning Center. When our people go to buy food uh, and, and they see what they're shopping for, who are you feeding? And we say, yeah, boy, those animals at the Adventure Learning Center eat really well. But they, he asked the man, what do you feed your pigs? And the man says, oh, uh, you know, pigs, they're not fussy. Whatever you give them, they'll eat. I, that's one thing I like about pigs. You can give them anything, and they'll eat it, and they'll eat all of it. So I feed them corn, and I feed them scraps, and I feed them leftovers, whatever. They'll eat it. And so the man said, uh, with a serious look on his face, you shouldn't be feeding. You, you're really not feeding your animals well. He says, I'm from the Animal Protection Bureau. And you're not feeding your animals well. You should not be feeding your animals waste. And he gave the farmer a fine. About a couple of days later, another man came by and he asked the very same question. What do you feed your pigs? And so the farmer thought about the first incident and says, well, I feed, I feed my pigs very well. I give them salmon and caviar and steak and, and shrimp. They eat very well. And so the man had a sad look on his face. He said, I'm sorry to hear that because I'm from the United Nations Food Organization and it's unfair for you to be feeding those animals so well when there are so many people dying because they don't have enough to eat. Can't please everybody, can you? Believe it or not, someone showed up a couple of days later asking the same question. What do you feed your animals? And the farmer says, well, I give $5 to each pig and they can buy whatever they want. <laughs> But is that what the abundant life is all about? Having what you need to buy whatever you want. For some people, that's what it is. That's what abundant living is all about. Now, you don't really have to travel far to find people who do not have the abundant life. Probably you can just go right across the street. And there are a few hanging out, probably watching sports. But you may not even have to leave this sanctuary to find some who doesn't have abundant life. Some people have abundance of things in life and they think that they are living the abundant life. And yet, there are those who have never even dreamed of what it means to have the abundant life. J. Paul Getty was such a person. He's one of the world's richest men. And uh, he died in 1976. 
and his biographer wrote an article about him in which he said that Getty's mansion was surrounded by vicious dogs. All 500 windows were barred. His bedroom door was embedded in steel and a guard with an attack dog stood by his bedroom window every night. Mr. Getty was married five times and all those marriages ended in divorce. He had five sons by those four, by, he, had, he had five sons by four of his five wives. He was close to none of his sons. When his son Tim died of a brain tumor, Mr. Getty didn't even attend the funeral. When his other son uh, Paul died, the son uh, George committed suicide. Another son Paul was disinherited for using drugs. When one of his grandchildren was kidnapped, and you probably heard the story, when one of his grandchildren was kidnapped, Getty suspected that the boy was trying to extort money from him. Consequently, he refused to pay the ransom and the kidnappers until the kidnappers cut off one of the boy's heirs and mailed it to the police. The biographer concluded that the world's richest man never felt rich. He was afraid everyone was after his money. And as a result, he was stingier with his love than he was with his money. Now, while Getty may be an extreme case, he is a sobering reminder for all of us that this world that we live in today is filled with all kinds of people who don't have a clue, who never have an inkling of what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said, I am come that they might have life and may have it abundantly. It is even possible to be a regular churchgoer or to be a, a frequent guest in a church where God is genuinely worshipped and still not have abundant life. Would you believe that there are churches and individuals today at this very moment, who exists, to whom God's love is almost a stranger, and love and peace are unknown, and yet they claim that they're living abundantly. That's, there are people like that today. And some of you probably know some of them. Now, I don't want to read into the text, uh, John 10, 10, something that our Lord didn't place in the text. That would be eisegesis instead of exegesis. But I don't want you to get the impression that when you come to Christ, you will no longer experience any hurt or pain. It is very obvious from the teachings of Scripture that the life that we have is filled with pain and heartache. And Christians are not excluded. When you come to Jesus Christ, you will no longer be exempt. In fact, the, the, we, are, we are reminded that the life that we have is, a, is filled with the predicament of pain and suffering. When we are born into this world, we have no choice about the sufferings that we will encounter, uh, that we will face as a result of the things that we go through in our lives. In fact, we are promised that while as Christians we cannot live a trouble-free life, we can have an abundant life. What does that mean? It simply means that we can have the toughness of character. We can have the spiritual strength 
to face whatever life brings our way. Why? Because the very essence of the abundant life is also the in spite of life. Many will tell you, well, if you're a believer, you shouldn't be going through this, or you shouldn't be going through that. But what many don't understand is that the abundant life is inclusive of the in spite of life. But in spite of what? What would we not be exempt from? Well, in spite of calamity, for one thing, if we turn to Romans chapter 8, we will see some of the hardships which had come or would come uh, to the people of God that Paul was writing to. Notice what he says in verse 35, Romans chapter 8. Trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Interesting words. Distress. Speaks of being surrounded by difficult circumstances until you are literally in a tight squeeze. I can't tell you how many people that I've run into uh, along the way and you ask them, hey, how, how are things going? And they say, man, things tight. Because they find themselves in distress. They are find themselves in a tight squeeze. And, and when we look at the difficult economic conditions that we are now facing and that is on the horizon, you're going to find that many people are going to find themselves in distress. Persecution is associated with trouble and affliction. Famine, a lack of food. Persecution, nakedness. Not, nakedness has nothing to do with immoral dress, even though we see a lot of that around the place. But it has to do with the fact of not having sufficient clothing and no means to secure any. Peril speaks of danger and risks that we have all around us that, that results in the, in the alarm systems that we put in our vehicles, in our homes, in the bars, and all the trappings that we call security. Sword speaks of the threat of death. And to some Christians in different parts of the world, even martyrdom. The point is this. These people that Paul were addressing were just like us. Just like us. That's why in the middle of his description, look at it, verse 37, Paul asks the question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he declared his conclusive answer in the rest of the verses. And all these things, he says, we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, anything else in creation. Now we're going to look at that. We'll be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Amen. What does Paul say? Paul says we have complete victory. Period. End the discussion. Full stop. No ifs, buts, or maybes about it. We have complete victory. Do you believe this morning that you have complete victory as a result of having abundant life? Amen. You see, living in spite of calamity or hardships is inclusive in living abundantly. And many people just don't get it. The hardships, they are part and parcel of the abundant life. 
Not because you are having them means that there's something wrong with you. That's what Paul is saying. Living abundantly also means living in spite of conflicts. And there are many of those all around us. Paul asks three questions in Romans chapter 8. First he asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we can give a multiplicity of answers to that question. The world can be against us. Pagan people can be against us. People in our jobs who don't like Christianity can be against us. People in our neighborhood who's, who's, who's leaning to more crime can be against us. Even our own family members can be against us. But understand this. To those who have complete victory, it really does not matter. It doesn't matter. Because God who gave his best will in no way withhold the rest. And that's what the abundant life is really all about. Living in spite of conflicts is inclusive in living abundantly. Part and parcel. But living abundantly also means living in spite of criticism. And there are many people who go through their lives day in and day out and all they get is criticism. Paul asks the second question in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? And this may include a whole lot of people. All around the world, right now, at this very moment, you could find people who are bringing a charge against God's elect. Perhaps you're one of those persons who's bringing a charge against God's elect. Perhaps you're one of those persons who a charge is being brought against. But you know what? Paul's answer is still the same. In all things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. Amen. And so living in spite of criticism is also inclusive of living abundantly. But living abundantly also means living in spite of circumstances. And we find that there are a lot of circumstances that we run into in our lives. Paul's third question is this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. And he mentions several possibilities that we've already looked at, but we're going to look at them again. Notice he says, shall tribulation or distress, count them. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? How many did you count? Seven. Seven. Why Seven. Do you think there are more? Well, what is interesting in, in the scriptures is numbers are always symbolic in scriptures. Whenever you see a number, there is something symbolic about that number. And the number seven speaks of perfection. It can't get any better than seven as far as the scriptures speak when it comes to the symbolic, the symbolism of numbers. Remember the three Hebrew boys when they were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace? Nebuchadnezzar, they said, no, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow. I don't care. With all due respect, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow. And Nebuchadnezzar got heated. His face turned blue and he got angry. And he told, he gave instructions for the furnace to be heated how many times? Seven times hotter. Now that's as hot as the furnace could get. If it, was any, if it could get any hotter, he would have said heated eight or nine or ten times hotter. 
But the fact of the matter is, the furnace could not be any hotter than seven times, which means that the circumstances for these boys could not be any worse. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that because we overwhelmingly conquer, there is no circumstances that, that, will, that we will run into that will be too much. There is no circumstance that we will encounter that will be too bad. That's what he's saying. Then he answered the question, B'nai and all these things. That's why he answered this, this way. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's a different translation. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. The phrase in the King James Version of the Bible says, "They we are more than conquerors. And actually, that phrase, we are more than conquerors, in the King James Version, is only one word in the Greek. Hupanikomen is the word in the Greek. One word for five in English. And it's a combination of words. Hupa, Latin, or, which means super, and uh, it means above, and also uh, nikeo, from the word nike. Now, in ancient times, nike was the god of victory. And so this word nikeo comes from the word nike, meaning victory. And so the literal meaning is we are super victors. Do you feel like a super victor? We are super victors. And that's why when we look at these seven enemies that we encounter in verse 35, we need to be reminded no matter how bad the circumstances get, we are still super victors. And even verse 36, verse 36 reminds us that throughout the centuries, Christians of all ages have encountered, have been accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Look at it, verse 36. Sheep for the slaughter. But because we are more than conquerors, they were able to live triumphantly through it all, all the time. We are super victors. Now, what you need to understand is the ability to be a super victor is not based on human ability. It's not based on what you can muster up, how much courage you can muster up. It's not based on self-determination. Notice where the victory comes from. Look at the text. Where does the victory come from? Where does it come from? Through him who loved us. That's where it comes from. And so many times you find yourselves in really bad circumstances and you try to muster up the courage and the strength to deal with it. You look in the wrong place. You don't look within. You look to him who loved us. In other words, the same Christ who conquered every foe because of his love for us imparts his grace and strength to make us more than conquerors, overwhelming conquerors, super victorious. And so living in spite of circumstances is inclusive of living abundantly. And then Paul brings the chapter to a grand conclusion with two verses. And, and, uh, and if you were to choose two verses to be read to you on your dying bed, I don't think you could find any two verses better than the last two verses of this chapter. For I am convinced. Do you know that there are a lot of people who go into, go into eternity not convinced of what's going to happen to them afterwards? There are a lot of people who go into eternity without, they're not convinced about what the future holds. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful words. But here's the point. Here's the point. Whether tomorrow finds you in the dusk of death or in the hustle and bustle of life, you can be certain, absolutely certain of one thing. You know what that is? We will never be separated from the love of God. You can be absolutely 120% certain of that. Notice what Paul says. Nothing present and nothing future can separate us. Many times the future is uncertain to a lot of people and the future brings fear in the hearts and minds of many. But Paul says nothing present. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to fear the, 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 the difficult times that we are going through. The violent crimes that are on our streets. We don't have any. That's, that's present. You don't have to fear that. You don't have to fear, boy, if it's, if it's bad now, I wonder how much worse could it get. That's the future. You don't have to fear that either. None of the spine-chilling apprehensions in the forecast concerning tomorrow, even if they do take place, can ever separate us from the love of God. Do you believe that? But Paul says something else. He says, nor height, nor depth. Even if a meteor should hit the earth tonight, as apparently some have in past centuries, even that could not separate us from the love of God. But Paul even went so far as to say something else. He says, nor any other created thing. Now, we're not reading anything into the text here. Paul said that. It's right there. Nor any other created thing. What is he talking about? Hmm? Bound creation? Okay. Nor any other. It, it's been a long time since uh, man set foot on the moon, hasn't it? And it was a momentous occasion. And right now they got a, a what, a lunar vehicle on Mars? Someday man hoped to go to Mars and then go beyond Mars. But if some other creatures in the universe were found, even though I doubt that will ever occur, so don't, let's not read that into the text. But even if that were to happen, Paul is just setting the record straight. He said, you can, you can have assurance, you can have a confidence, even if the worst to worst ever comes to pass, even if they find space aliens somewhere else, even they will not be able to separate us from the love of God nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. He's pulling out all the stops here. He's turning over every stone. Such is the nature of the in spite of life that is inclusive in the abundant life. We are more than conquerors. In fact, the word that is used more for more here in the text, the Greek word is, is hupo, uh, from which we get our English word hyper. A word that I'm becoming very, very much associated with, with little Juliana becoming older. She's now very hypo and difficult to keep up with. She's into everything. But is that, is that where we get our, our English word hyper from? We are hyper conquerors. We are, we're not just, you see, many times we think of, oh, I'm just a conqueror. I'm just a conqueror. I'm climbing up the rough side of the mountain. Doing my best to make it in. 
No, we're more than that. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And that's the point that Paul wants to get across to us. Because if you understand that you are more than just a conqueror, then you need to you understand that this life that we are living is the in spite of life. Because you need to be more than a conqueror to deal with what you're going to encounter in this life. So the question we must ask ourselves is, will we live a trouble-free life? Will we live a trouble-free life? Of course not. No way. Not going to happen. Will there be times when sorrows like sea billows roll all over us? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. There will be. In fact, there will be times when they will almost crush you. But you know what? Doesn't change the fact that we are still more than conquerors. We are still super victors. Why? Because the abundant life is the in spite of life. You see, Satan can't put anything on us with all the trials and the difficulties and trials that he puts us through. Donnie McClurkin sings a song called, I'll Trust You, Lord. How many of you have heard that song? And that song, I've been thinking about as I was preparing this, this message today, that, that song came to mind because there's some things that he says in that song and the way that he presents it. And uh, he presents it as if Jesus is speaking to a believer. And this is what he says. What if you call me and don't feel me near you? Will you still trust me? And I believe that's a question that we need to look at and answer and ponder in our hearts and our minds as we think of the life that we're living is not only the abundant life, but as the in spite of life. But he goes on, he says, will, will, what if I tell you to let go of the very thing that you feel you have to hold? Will you trust me? And that's the question that we all need to answer. What if I tell you to let go of that which you're clinging on to that you feel is for dear life? Will you trust me? The words of the song goes on to say, yes, I'll trust you, Lord. What if it costs my life? Yes, I'll trust you, Lord. What if I lose the very thing that I love so dear? Yes, I'll trust you, Lord. Will you? Will you trust him? But I like the other first verse of the song goes like this. It says, I know that faith is easy when everything is going well. But can you still believe in me when your life's a living hell? Some people are going through a living hell right now. It's easy to trust God when our faith is, is intact and going well. But can you still trust him, he says, when your life's a living hell? You can if you're living abundantly and understand that the abundant life is inclusive of the in spite of life. You can and when all the things around you seem to fade away, quickly fade away, there's just one thing I really want to know. Will you let go? Will you stand on my word? Against all odds, will you believe what I have said? What seems impossible, will you believe? Every promise that I made, you will receive. And that answer ought to be what? Yes. I'll trust you, Lord. No matter what. A lady went to church one night, and uh, she sat next to another lady, and uh, she, she spoke pleasantly. She smiled. She sang. 
She bowed her head during prayer, listened attentively to the sermon. The lady that she sat next to did not know until after the service was over that that dear Christian woman had buried her husband that very afternoon. You see, she and her husband had made a pact between them that nothing in life or death would separate them from the love of God. He, would, he had to go on to paradise and would wait for her there. She would continue in the service of Christ here without missing a step. She was keeping her part of the agreement. When I thought about that story, I thought about the other stanza in the song that, that Donnie McClurkin wrote. And, and the word says this. It says, I know how bad it hurt when that loved one's life comes to an end. And when they had to leave you, you said you'd never love again. But will you trust that I can help you and I'll never turn away? Will you trust me, child, no matter come what may? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? The key to the answer is what this woman was experiencing as a result of the pact that she made with her husband. And that is to keep oneself in the love of God. To be faithful in the work of the Lord. Paul said, we have overwhelmingly, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Romans 8 begins with the words, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And the chapter closes with the affirmation that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What an encouraging chapter. Tremendous chapter. It opens and closes with the victory that is ours. It opens and closes reminding us that we are super victors. And you know what? The only place to find the abundant life is in Jesus. If you think you can find it by flying the, the friendly skies of United Airlines, which, by the way, ain't too friendly these days, you're mistaken. If you think you can find it by, by buying and investing and doing all kinds of stuff, you're mistaken. The only place you can find the abundant life is in Jesus Christ. And that's why... It is described as the in spite of life. The Jack Daniels Whiskey Distillery is the oldest distillery in America. It is said that so much whiskey is stored on that property, aging, that if they were to, to sell that whiskey at Tennessee prices today, they would sell more than three billion dollars of whiskey right on the spot. Three billion dollars. Now when I hear stories like that, the thought that immediately comes to mind is how many broken bones, broken homes, broken dreams, broken hearts are stored in those aging barrels waiting to ruin even more lives. Jack Daniels was classic of one of those lives. By the way, his name was Jasper Newton, not Jack Daniels. His, his real name was, was, was Jasper Newton. And uh, the story goes, he was, he was never married. He was 16 years old 
and he opened a cave. He opened, he opened a distillery when he was 16 years old. He went and he was exploring as long bo young boys do, and he found a cave uh, with some special water in it. And he devoted the rest of his life to making Tennessee whiskey. Now, what a way to waste a life, isn't it? He devoted the rest of his life to making Tennessee whiskey. He was a short-tempered man, and his temper uh, resulted in the loss of his life. He went into his whiskey distillery one day and uh, wanted to go into a safe, and he couldn't get the safe open. Probably he was on too much whiskey. Who knows? And so he couldn't get the safe open, and so he did what any carnal man would do. What's that? Break it open? Let me say, shoot it. He kicked it. How many times we do that? You, you're trying to do something that doesn't work and you kick it. Well, he kicked the safe. It resulted in a broken toe, which resulted in gangrene, which resulted in the loss of his leg, which resulted in the loss of his life, all because he kicked the safe. In fact, if you go on the internet and you look for Jack Daniels, you'll find a website that says the safe that killed. He kicked the safe and it killed him. Unfortunately, he is probably the most famous historian in Tennessee. Not because he had the abundant life, but because he devoted his life to making whiskey. And Jack Daniels is typical of many people in this world today who live only for themselves. People who spend their entire lives doing nothing meaningful. And when they come to the end of their lives, they have nothing worthwhile to show for it. For all the years that they spent in vanity and pride. But you know what? They go down well. I was talking to someone yesterday about a funeral. I said, hey, how did the funeral go? Oh, they went, she went down well. What does that mean? They can do some really good funerals. I mean, they'll blow your mind. Some of the things that they do. But you know, regardless of how great the funerals are, there's something very sad about a cemetery. Because it reminds us that we all die and eventually become anonymous, unknown, nameless. Yes, our loved ones want, to, want, to, want us to be remembered forever. They put up a little monument and a, and a headstone and, and, uh, and they have all their plans. We're going to be remembered forever. But the weather has its own plans. The rains come, the winds blow, and, uh, and then and after a while the, the, the name is, un, is, is no longer readable on the headstone and, and, uh, and the stone cracks and a little weed grow up between the, the, the stones and it falls apart. And, and uh, we eventually become anonymous, nameless. Well, the scripture records a whole lot of people who were nameless, who were anonymous. But there was something unique about those persons, and that is their association with the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was the dying thief who we read about in Luke 23? We don't know his name, do we? Does he have a name? No, he's anonymous. Who was the soldier we read about in Mark 15 who said of the crucified Savior, truly, this man was the Son of God. Who were the women on the night of the crucifixion who followed Jesus and Nicodemus for the burial of Jesus? We don't know any of their names. They're anonymous. Who were the 70 disciples whom Jesus uh, commissioned to go and, and minister to the lost sheep of Israel? We don't know who they are. They were anonymous. The point is, sooner or later, we all become anonymous. But for the Christian, for the child of God, 
it's a whole lot different. There is a big difference. Because we have abundant life, we are associated with the one who has eternal life. If we are living abundantly, we too can take great comfort in the words of the Apostle Paul today when he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question that we need to ask ourselves today in closing is this. Am I really in Christ? Ephesians 1.3 we read, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Where are those blessings? In Christ. In Christ. And I want you to think about something. If everything that will amount to anything 300 years after my death in Christ is in Christ, it is very significant for me to ask the question, am I in Christ? It's very significant for you to ask that question as well. If everything that will amount to anything after you are dead is in Christ, it is significant for you to ask today, am I in Christ? If I'm not in Christ, how do I get to the point where I am in Christ? The Bible answers the question in Galatians 3.27. It says, for, you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And Romans 6 and 23 poses the question, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? The abundant life is inclusive of the in spite of life. So who is in Christ? A believer who truly loves the Lord and wishes to, to give his life to him. Not part of his life, but all of his life. A believer who is repentant and regretful about his sin and anxious to have God be a part of his future. Such a believer has no problems whatsoever with the in spite of life, because he understands and accepts that it is inclusive of abundant life. If you're here today and you don't know, you don't have the abundant life, you need to understand something. If you're old enough to be lost, you are old enough to be saved. Come to Jesus Christ today. He wants to give you a life that is abundant, but a life that is in spite of conflict, criticism, circumstances, hardships. Are you saying in your heart, I do want to be a Christian? I don't want my life to be like Jack Daniels, to, to go to the end of my life with nothing to show and nothing behind me and nothing before me into eternity. I want to live abundantly. I want to be more than a conqueror. If you're saying that today, then you need to come to Jesus. You need to give Jesus your heart. You need to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. 
I want to have the abundant life. I want to be a super victor. To paraphrase Paul's words again, he says, I want to be a, a hyper conqueror through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it abundantly. You see, it's not just what we, something we talk about. It's an actual reality that translates into the in spite of life. Christians scattered all over this world today would not trade one day of the abundant life, the in spite of life, for all the billions of J. Paul Getty because they understand and they're willing to face whatever it takes to live for Jesus Christ, the abundant life, which is also the in spite of life. Are you willing to live that life today? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful that we have a Savior who came not to give us just life, but who came to give it more abundantly. Help us to realize, Lord, that abundant living doesn't mean just having a bed of roses, but it also means dealing with the criticisms, the hardships, the circumstances, the conflicts, but that we are more than conquerors and are able to overcome overwhelmingly all that we will encounter because it's part and parcel of living abundantly. Help us to embrace that today as we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people say,